0: So hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Philippians chapter two. We're going to look at verses nineteen through thirty. Uh, we're continuing the series called Transcend, which is learning from Paul's experience in prison as he writes to a group of people uh, known as, as the Church of Philippi, and his relationship with them. Things that we can learn from Paul's experience of how do we live beyond the circumstances of our lives. So if you are here last week, I wasn't here. It's funny when people come and say, oh, I missed last week." I'm like, "So did I. I wasn't here either." And uh, John Looney did a great job of talking about what it looks like to be a a, a gospel community and witnessing in in community. And so um, one of the things that you'll pick up as we've been going through this series, which is really important, Paul valued relationships because that is the avenue that God created human beings to minister through. And so everything about his ministry and his life was about the people that he connected with. Um, and so this morning we're going to we're going to talk about two people specifically that Paul mentions by name in this passage That were friends of his that demonstrate what it looks like to be a true friend And You think well, why is it important to talk about friendships? Well, because the Bible talks about friendship and everything that you and I do That is a part of what God is doing in our life that is effective has to do with relationships That's the way God's wired us. That's the way God set up the church And so we have to make sure that we understand especially in the area of friendship What does it mean to actually truly be a real friend to somebody else this is important because in the culture that we're in right now we live in a time right now in 2018 where we are more connected globally and locally than we've ever been but we're more isolated than we've, we've ever been we are more lonely because of the way that we've structured things we think that we're connected and we know people but we're actually very isolated and part of that is not that it's a bad thing, but it's the way that we've used technology as we, a ways to think that we're connecting, but in reality, we're actually doing the opposite of what we think we're doing. So as, as technology has grown, you remember back like decades ago, remember this thing called email that came out? Some of you are like, email, what's that? Yeah, you should figure it out sometime. It's really interesting. AOL, you've got mail, that whole thing. So there's another way to connect. It was before it was like, I had to send a letter, I have to make a phone call. That was the only ways you could, I, and I could connect other than face-to-face. And then with the growth of that, the internet developing, and different ways to connect with people, and then the whole rise of social media. And now you have all these different platforms to connect. But the problem is, is that we're not connecting relationally. We're just collecting elect- or connecting electronically. Example of this, when, you know, Facebook was the first kind of social network or social platform, social media, to connect. And when Facebook started, uh, when you connect with people via Facebook, you're called what? Friends. That's you, you friend somebody. Something interesting that friend becomes a verb now. I'm friending you, right? But as social media developed in things like Instagram and Twitter and other social media platforms, it moved from friends, and now what you know what you are when you connect with people through those mediums? You're a follower. You're no longer a friend, you're a follower. What does that mean? It's interesting, even the language that's used is now, is that, yeah, you may know that person, but what you're doing is you're just following their life. You're watching them. You're a voyeur, which is kind of strange. You... You're living vicariously through somebody else's pictures. Like, if you're dying to get engaged, go ahead and check out Danny and Lauren's Instagram, and you'll see, oh, that's the way it's done, right? But it's, it's this, we think that we're, we're connecting, but we're actually isolating ourselves. Because what, one of the casualties of this false sense of being connected is friendship. Like, true friendship that actually values other people more than ourselves. And Paul talks about that. In fact, I think that, I think I was reading something that when they calculate how many people that Paul mentions by name in his writings, it's about 60 people. 60 people that he highlights as people that he was in in ministry with that were his friends that obviously had an impact on his life and he had an impact on theirs. But there's two today we're going to look at in these verses that he highlights. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and look at verse 19. Let me read down to verse 30 of Philippians chapter 2. So remember, Paul's writing from prison to a group of people he's deeply connected with and he loves, and so he's, he's talking to them in terms of this relationship. He says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely, cons- or is genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son, with, uh, as with a father, he has sh- served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also." Verse 25. "I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he had been longing for you all, he has been longing for you all and have, has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice in seeing him again and that I may be less anxious So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me So we want to just look at two people that Paul highlights Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, if you're like me, I grew up in the church, and sometimes when you're reading through the Bible and you start reading names, you check out, right? Let's just be honest. When you get to a genealogy in the Bible, don't you just like skip it, right? Unless you're really like legalistic and you're doing like through the Bible in a year and you got to read every word, and then you try to read all these names that you have no idea how to pronounce, right? Because we have a tendency to kind of gloss over the insignificant ones. We know Timothy because he's referenced other places, and actually, Paul writes two letters to Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy. But Epaphroditus is kind of like this guy that shows up, and you're like, "Who in the world is he?" But these two these two men are are very close to Paul, and Paul highlights some things that I think are really important about what it, what does it mean to be a true friend. So this morning, what I'd like to do is we walk through three things about Timothy, three things about Epaphroditus from this passage. I want you to understand this is not ammunition for you to use against your friends, okay? Because I could see people like. Well, you know what the Bible says about Epaphroditus, and you're not that, right? And you're like, you're throwing it as you're like putting shame on your friends. This is not what that's about. This morning is about really about self-reflection. Looking at my life and asking the question, what kind of friend am I? Am I a true friend in the relationships that I have with people? And if not, what are some things that I need to consider that might be different than the way I currently relate to people around me? So ask yourself these questions this morning. We'll start with Timothy. So true friendship, ask yourself this, am I genuine? Is my relationships and my friendship with other people genuine? So in verse 19 and 20, Paul talks about Timothy, but he says this. He says, he talks about Timothy, he says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? Genuine, the word is so important. Genuinely concerned means that he's actually concerned about what's going on in your life and the struggles that you have, not concerned as a means to an end. See, something that's not genuine has an agenda. Something that's genuine has, genuine has no agenda other than to care for the person. Why is that important? Because let's all be honest, how many times have you had a friendship that was just beneficial to you? I have. Because you're gravitated towards somebody as a means to your end because they're popular or they're wealthy or they, you can leverage the relationship to better yourself. And so you become friends, but really in reality, you're not their friend. You're just using them to get to where you want to be. We will do that sometimes. But Paul's saying a true friend like Timothy... Has a genuine concern for people around him he genuinely loves them and cares about them and what they're going through as opposed to using people For his own agenda. I think sometimes we don't realize that this is what we do We we gravitate towards certain people because what they will give to us In fact, if you and I were able to to sit down and interview celebrities, they would tell you they have all kinds of people who call them their friends But very few that are actually true friends I read this quote from, and I'll put it up on the screen, from Oprah Winfrey this week. Listen to what she says. She goes, lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus when the limo breaks down. Isn't that true? See, you know your true friends are there when things aren't going well, when life breaks down, but but your friends that aren't so genuine are only there when things are good. So if you think about your own relationships with people around you, are you a, a fair-weather friend that just shows up when things are good, but when things are difficult, you kind of back off a little bit? See, Paul's saying, is Timothy was so committed, he was so genuinely interested in Paul, genuinely interested in other people, that his relationships had a tone to them that wasn't about what he could get from people, but what he could help them with, what he could contrib- contribute to their lives. So that first question, are you genuine in, in your relationships? Second thing, look at verse 21. Paul says of Timothy, is that he was Jesus-focused. So if you read through, it says for, the, he says, for they all seek, talking about other people, their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What he's saying of Timothy is, Timothy had a genuine concern of not only other people, but what Jesus was up to in the lives of people and in the world. Why is that important? Because a true friend is somebody who's willing to ask the Jesus question. What's the Jesus question? Jesus questions are the questions in our life that you and I don't like to ask, but it's the hard questions that have to do with what God is doing in our life and what he may be challenging us with. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual matters, unless you're in a structured group like a community group or a life transformation group or a Bible study where there's accountability kind of built in, we struggle with actually going there with people. We don't like to talk about things that, about, that maybe that God's doing in someone's life that may be challenging to them. Because here's the reality. The only person who's allowed to have an agenda is Jesus, and he has a big one. He has an agenda for all of our lives. But we're afraid to allow that agenda to come through in our conversations because we don't want to talk about that because we don't want to feel uncomfortable but when somebody's going through something difficult that we know Jesus may be addressing in their life, and we don't want to be that person who speaks up and says something because we don't want to offend, are we really being a true friend? No, a true friend is willing to what? Ask the Jesus question. Ask the spiritual question. Ask the deeper question about what's going on in our friend's life. Why? Because we know that God is up to something. Not just kind of pat them on the back and give them kind of the Christianese, I'll pray for you, but actually dig deep in with people and ask the Jesus question, why? Because God is up to something in people's lives and we're a part of that. God is using us relationally to do that. But are we too afraid? You know, it's interesting, if you take out kind of the spirituals, take the church stuff out, you take community group stuff out, all that, and I could just talk because I'm a guy, I can say this, ladies, you guys get this better than guys do. You're, you're more sensitive, you're usually more humble than guys, and so you can go deeper spiritually than guys can. Guys, we struggle. It's, it's true. When you hold a women's event, you sell out. When you hold a men's event, you have to twist arms to get guys to go there. It's true. I've been pastoring for a long time. I know the way it works. Ladies, it's like you sneeze and you all show up, right? Guys, it's like, this is the most important thing you're ever going to do. And ten guys show up, right? Why is that? Because guys can stand around and talk about all kind of stuff. But a lot of times you can't talk about the Jesus stuff. So you put guys around, and what are they going to talk about? Sports. Yeah, you start talking about the Dodgers and how bad they are right now, right? If you don't talk about sports, you talk about cars. You talk about your job. You talk about anything else. But then the moment somebody brings up, like, hey, man, I'm really being challenged by what God is saying in my life. What about you? And they're like, oh, wow, you're weird right because we don't want to go there but what does a true friend do A true friend looks at somebody's life and says you know what god is probably doing something in their life and it may be uncomfortable to them but i'm gonna because i love them i'm gonna dig a little, little deeper in their lives are you that kind of friend and sometimes that means you have to be willing to risk speaking something that may be a challenge to them that they don't necessarily want to hear but it's something that they actually absolutely need to hear Listen to what Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Do you catch the word there? Have you ever seen iron get sharpened without friction? No. Sometimes there's friction in friendship because that means someone's willing to ask the deeper question about what's going on in somebody else's love, life. Not because they're trying to be a difficult or they're trying to cause problems. It's because they love that person enough. They'll ask the spiritual question. They'll ask the Jesus question. Why? Because they know Jesus has an agenda for that person's life that he's trying to work out in them. Third thing, and the third thing about, about Timothy here, is to ask this question of yourself and true friendship. Are you loyal? So Paul goes on in verse 22. He says, you know, Timothy is proven worth. And this is, he uses this phrase, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. What is Paul saying of Timothy? Paul is saying, my commitment, my relationship with Timi- is, Timothy is as thick as blood. It's like we're family there's that bond and there's that loyalty that there's that default that I'm going to be loyal to them I'm going to stand by him when he goes through anything. That's the way that Paul and Timothy shared this relationship It's kind of what it, like what is said in uh, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 It says friends come and, uh, and friends go but a true friend sticks by you like family I want you just to think about your, your life for a moment think about the moments in in somebody else's life that you would consider a friend. Think about a low moment in their life. Think about a moment maybe that even they offended you. Are you still their friend? Maybe ask this question. How long is the list of former friends in your life? If you look back over your lifetime, can you think a lot of people in your history that are not currently your friends today because something happened? Time and space because they moved away, because somebody got offended, because you disagreed, whatever it is. And now you have this long list of people that are former friends. But are you the friend that's loyal or are you the friend that sticks through difficult times? Are you that kind of friend? See, that's what Paul and Timothy had. There's this loyalty that even, can you imagine Paul's low moment here is he's sitting in prison, he's writing about Timothy, and in the middle of writing about Timothy, he hasn't been abandoned by Timothy, and he hasn't been abandoned by Epaphroditus either. They're loyal, and usually when somebody's gone through something difficult and you're gonna be guilty by association, the last thing you wanna do is be around them because you don't wanna get sucked into their mess. I'm like, I'm gonna stay above this one. See, I want you to think about it this way. One of of the, the most powerful pictures of friendship happened at the cross, and usually we kind of gloss over it. We don't get it. So if you you know, that as Jesus was on his way to the cross, he goes into the Garden of, of Gethsemane, and, and you remember his prayer. He's asking the Father if there's another way, but he, he submits to the Father, and he says, your will be done. And so as Jesus moves from that, and he goes to be arrested, it actually says that all of his followers scattered. They, they left him. And so he, now he's by himself. He's isolated. But what's interesting is that from that moment on, other than mary and a couple other marys that show up at the cross all of jesus disciples all stay at a distance peter shows up but peter shows up at a distance he's not close except for one john when you read through the narratives of jesus hanging on the cross it actually records by name who's there and of the 12 john is the one who's standing there now you and i have to capture what does that mean John, people knew, just like they knew with Peter, they knew that John was one of Jesus' followers. And in that day, when you're accused of being an insurrectionist that's going to overthrow the Roman government, the last thing you want to do is show up to that guy's crucifixion because now you're guilty by association. You shouldn't be there. But who's there? John's there. Now, Mary should be there. Mom's showing up at the worst moment of Jesus' life, but John's there. Why? John's there at his own risk, the risk of his own life. And we know that the the somehow this connection that jesus has with john this is what's amazing because if you remember jesus had uh he had a relational issue with his own family not because he had caused it but because his family didn't get what his life was about remember there were times when jesus family shows up mary shows up with some of jesus brothers and they tell people to go in and say hey tell jesus his family's here you remember his response he goes who's my family he said, this is my family, whoever does the will of the Father, right? So he's, he's saying, my family's not about blood relation. My family is about the family of God. Now, if moms, dads, if your child said that about you, would you be slightly offended? Like, hey, I brought you into the world, right? Don't I get some kind of free pass into accessing you and Jesus? So there's this, this, this sense that now Mary's standing at the foot of the cross and John's standing at the foot of the cross. Jesus is no longer going to be able to relate to his mom, obviously, the way that he has throughout his human life. And so what does he do? He says to Mary, Mary here's your son. He says to John, here's your mom. What is he doing? He's entrusting to a friend his mom after he leaves. That's friendship. Why? Because John's the only disciple that shows up at the worst moment of Jesus' human existence on the earth, and he's the one that is entrusted with Mary. That's friendship. That's loyalty. Think about in your life the low moments of people's existence what they've gone through the challenges they've experiences the failures they've gone through have you been faithful in somebody else's failure have you been the constant in their life even when you disagree with their failure will you still show up in their life so that's timothy then paul moves on go to verse 25 and he moves on to three more things about epaphroditus so verse 25 the first thing that paul highlights and this is a question for all of us are you and i unified with our friends what does that mean? I'll explain. But he says, have, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. He calls him a brother, and he says the word fellow twice. Fellow, obviously, we have the connotation of fellow being fellowship, which is this bond and the connection that all believers have. There is a unity, which means friendship in following Jesus means there are times where I, I lock arms with my brothers and sisters, and I walk through difficult times to help them to be the best version of who God has created them to be. True friends make friends better. That's how you know you have a true friend. When you're around them, when you're with them, you're better, a better version of yourself, not worse. That's true friendship. That's what Paul had with the Paul was better to able to communicate the gospel and serve the purpose of Jesus in his life because he had a in his life. They were unified. They were on the same page. They worked together. I have a few really close friends in my life, and you're going to hear a little bit about them this morning. So it's a pretty personal message for me. But I want you to take a look at the screens. This is a couple of the, the best friends I have in this world. Um, yeah, they look a little strange, I know. Um, but uh, so the one on the left, that's Sean McNay. And Sean likes burritos, obviously you can see from the picture there. And uh, the other one uh, on the right, that's uh, Greg Koskella. So both of them are really close. Greg is a diehard Lord of the Rings fan. He's literally in New Zealand standing in the Shire in front of Bilbo Baggins' house, okay? And he's got, you see what he's got on his shirt? Team Frodo, okay? So you can't get more like, you know, into it than that. But these two guys I've known for the last 12 years. And they, the, the saddest part for me is Sean lives in Washington and Greg lives in Oregon but these are two guys that I have shared life with over the last 12 years and who know me probably other than Kim, my wife, they know me as good as anybody else in the world because we we locked arms together and served God's purpose together and, and went through difficulties and experienced tears and difficulties and challenges and victories together as fellow pastors in the same city up in Oregon. And I'll tell you, these guys were my friends through ups and downs, and I was with them as they walked through relational challenges and ministry challenges, and what one of the things that these guys, that, that they allowed me to do, and I allowed for them in our relationship, is that one of the struggles as a pastor is that we're usually not allowed to be human. Just being really honest, we're not. There's this expectation that somehow as a pastor, you're perfect. You never fail, you never doubt, you never struggle, you always say the right thing, you're always there, And that's not truth. The only person who fits that description is Jesus, and pastors are not Jesus. And sometimes there's a place where you need to have as a pastor that you can just simply be a human being. And we had friendship that for seven years, we had lunch every Wednesday. Now, every once in a while, one, one or two of us would miss, but we either had lunch or we were praying together or we were talking together, and it was a time just to be together so that we could be human. We could talk about stuff that was important to us we would talk about church and things but we would talk about our kids our spouses our lives and just shared time together we were so bonded that actually in one year all of us swapped pulpits in our churches we all preached to each other churches we're like what yeah they're like he's a better preacher i'm going to go to that church well go for it right we, were, that, that's, we literally locked arms and and out of our relationship and a couple other pastors actually formed a really strong bond that actually led to about 20 to 30 churches coming together to serve our city. It was through relationship. It's because we locked arms. I love these guys. In fact, Greg was here six weeks ago. He literally texted me on a Saturday night and he was going to hop a flight the next morning literally for one day to visit me and somebody else. And he goes, are you preaching this week? And I'm like, yeah. So he texted me on Saturday night. He caught a flight and got him in at 6 a.m. at LAX from Portland. He drove here, was here for one of our services. I got to hug on him for five minutes, and then he was off to visit another friend and then literally hopped on a plane at 5 o'clock that night to go back to Portland just to see two friends. That's friendship. And that's the kind of friend that God calls us to be, is that we are are uh, making—I am a better husband, a better pastor, and a better leader because these guys are in my life and you and I have to be that kind of person to other people. How am I a, making somebody else better, a better version who, of who God has called them to be? Second thing that that Paul highlights about Epaphroditus goes on in the second part of verse 25. And that is this he uses this phrase. He talks to Epaphroditus, he's your messenger and minister to my need. So, what is what is Epaphroditus? He's a selfless friend. So understand the context. Paul's talking to this church that he loves dearly, and he's at a distance now from where he was to where he is. And so the distance between Philippi and where Paul finds himself is about a 40-day walk. It's a long distance. It's not just an overnight trip. It's not just hop on a plane. They didn't do that back then. So Epaphroditus came to Paul delivering a gift that the church at Philippi gave to Paul to support the ministry. But in doing so, we don't understand exactly what happened, but he was, he became ill, and he actually he put his life on the line to get to Paul, and then he stayed with Paul for some time, risking his life, because he didn't think about his own life. He thought about what Paul needed and was willing to, can you imagine, would you be willing to take a 40-day journey and put your life on hold simply because a friend needed you? Whew. You're like, I don't get that much vacation in a lifetime. I couldn't take that much time off work, but... That's what Epaphroditus did for Paul. He, he left his surroundings to go to where Paul was so he could be what? He could minister to Paul. He could be the messenger to bring that, that gift to Paul. Think about what that's like, to be willing to, you're like, 40 days? How about, what if you were willing to readjust an hour? Maybe a day. You're willing to clear everything just so you could be, for, be there for a friend. What would, that, what would that be like? Let me show you uh, a picture of one of those kind of friends in my life. In fact, m- many of you have met him. He's the bald guy on the left. That's Larry Powers. That's my my brother-in-law. He's uh, this is a picture of him in Columbia. He he's the uh, he's the head of uh, a Chapel Bible College in uh, in uh, Golden Springs area, which is uh, West Covina. This is actually them starting another branch of that Bible college in Columbia. This is one of the students, and uh, and and Larry actually will be speaking. I think it's towards the end of June as he comes every year. I have Larry Powers and Dan Stewart in the rotation every year because we love both of them. So, but but Larry is the brother that. The, the brother that I never had biologically. I never had a biological brother. I have three older sisters, so I grew up with a lot of estrogen around me, but not, not a lot of testosterone. And so Larry, when I was 10 years old, started dating my oldest sister. And right away, he took an interest in me. And, uh, in fact, I probably mentioned this before, but, but the rhythm in our, in our household growing up was every Sunday at, at, at lunch after church, it was kind of like family dinner, and then anybody else who wanted to come, we, people would come from church or whatever. And so Larry was always there every, every Sunday, you know, because he was dating my sister. But, but early on, Sundays became the day that Larry and I would really connect. And so after church we'd eat lunch and then we'd watch baseball or we'd play basketball or actually we'd go golfing or play play racquetball whatever it is he would spend a good four hours with me and so so this actually became a point of tension between my old me and my oldest sister because she was convinced when he showed up on sunday he's here for me and i said no you're wrong i said sundays are my day you know you can have six i get one at least and literally They had to have a sit-down conversation that when he came over on Sundays, I was probably going to dominate his time because he knew that I never had a brother and experiencing that. And not only did he become my brother, he became my friend in such a way that as I grew up, I mean, he continued to to be influential in my life. And then when I got into college, he was actually one of my Bible college professors, professors, one of the most challenging, but one of my favorite Bible college professors, amazing teacher. And then to this day, he still continues. In fact, this is the thing. Every church that I've ever pastored, Larry has spoke at. And if you haven't met Larry, please, I think it's June 24th is when he's coming. I think that might be the date. Please meet him because he doesn't know all of your names, but he prays for you all the time. Because he loves me, he loves you. And he cares deeply for this church. And that's the kind of friendship, that's the kind of friend that I've had in him. And, And he's been completely selfless. And there has been times that Larry has literally cleared his schedule so that he could be a part of mine. And because of that I, I look at larry and i think I, if i can be half the friend that he is to other people then i think i'll be a success that's what friendship looks like that's what paul and epaphroditus were sharing that selfless kind of friendship and then there's a final uh, the final friendship i want to touch on today and that is this is the last question are you sacrificial this is this is when it gets real difficult paul says in verses 29 and 30 talking of epaphroditus he said so receive him in the lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The phrase, risking his life, is literally translated, it's a gambling term. It's like rolling the dice. So what is Paul saying of Epaphroditus? He rolled the dice of his life for mine. That he gambled himself on my behalf. I want you just to think about that. That, that seems kind of reckless, doesn't it? It's like, literally, Epaphroditus risked his very life so that he could serve what Paul needed. He was willing to sacrifice everything. Now, when you think, you and I, it's kind of like in a, in a utopian kind of world, like, yeah, risking for all of my friends. But then let's just think about that. Think about your friends for a moment, you know, the ones that aren't so perfect. Are you willing to roll the dice of your life on them? Makes you think twice epaphroditus had no guarantees with paul but he believed in paul and he made a commitment and he literally put his life on the line for paul so who are you willing to gamble on who are you willing to risk for because friendship requires risk it means i have to be vulnerable and i have to let my guard down and i have to be willing to absorb some things that may happen that i don't like because i'm going to risk for the benefit of that other person who is that friend what does that look like in your life now now, I'm going to ex- talk in the context of marriage, but this applies way outside the context of marriage. It just applies to friendship overall. And here's the reality. The secret to a good marriage is to marry your best friend. It is. Trust me. I married my best friend, and I've also done lots of counseling when people have not married their best friend, and it doesn't work out well. Romance is not enough to make a good marriage. It's not. You've got to be friends. Take a look at this picture. You recognize her. There she is i this picture is shown with permission which by the way kim is homesick today so she's not here but uh but i asked her can i show this picture you know because i had to give her you know guys never put up a picture of your wife unless you ask her first okay so actually you can tell how cold we look because this is two months ago in portland when it was literally like 30 degrees in downtown portland but i want i want you to see this picture you guys know kim but but kim kim is that kind of friend so those of you married know what, it, what, what this means. So, so when, when obviously it's what Danny and Lauren are, 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 are stepping into. And, and really when Danny proposed to Lauren, underneath the surface he's asking a question, are you willing to risk on me? Are you willing to bet your life with me? That's a big, big step. Don't all look at Danny right now. He's trying to slowly get up to the keyboard so nobody sees him. But that's what marriage is. Marriage is a huge risk that says I, I'm, I'm asking you to risk your life with mine. And so for, for Kim and I, over, over the last 26 years of our life being married, we have experienced that. I've experienced that from her, and I hope she's experienced it from me. But, but I know when I asked her to marry me, I knew who I was. I knew the kind of person. I knew that I was not perfect. And then she wasn't getting someone who walked on water. She got somebody who was trying his best but was far from perfect. And I remember when she said yes, I was overwhelmed because I realized I know who she's saying yes to. You know what? She knows who she's saying yes to. And she's still saying yes. She was willing to risk. And there's been times in our marriage where she has been willing to sacrifice everything because I felt like God was leading us in a certain direction at her own personal cost. And I've shared a little bit about this, and this is really her story, so I'm not going to give you all the details on this, but but when we were in Ventura, Kim, before we moved to Oregon, Kim was in a place in life where if you asked her, she would have said, this is the best season of my entire life. Courtney and Jordan were for seven and nine years old. We were living in Ventura, which is the city that Kim was born in. All of her family lived close by. My family wasn't too distant as well. She was working a secular job, having tremendous influence on people who don't know Jesus, loving her job tremendously, and things were wonderful. And then I said to her one day, I said, I think God's stirring us. And at first, it's like, no, he's stirring you. I feel no stirring whatsoever. And I said, No, I feel like God's stirring us. And so she said, Okay, if you feel that, then I'll pray. So she started to pray, and we were both praying together. And she came back and she said to me, she said, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but you're right. She goes, I don't want to leave where we are. I, I don't want to go anywhere else. It's, I want to live here and I want to die here. and I'll be happy. And she said, but if you feel like God's saying that, I, I'm feeling it too. So I'm willing to, to say, okay, God, I'll lay this down. And Kim laid down her dream life. It was hard. And you're you're expecting the story of like, yeah, we moved to Oregon and it started all over again. No, if Kim will tell you, the seven years in Oregon for Kim were the seven hardest years of her life. Because she lost the things that she had down here. Her family was now almost a thousand miles away. We never could find inroads into a secular job where she had as much influence as she did when she was down here. It just wasn't there. We loved the church and loved the people. But for Kim personally, it came at a high price. But she said yes. And there was other times, but I share that because Kim didn't make that decision based on the fact, well, he's my husband, so I gotta do it. No, she made that decision based on the fact that she had made a commitment to be my friend and to walk through difficult times with me and be listening for what God may be saying. Because I'll tell you the flip side, here's the flip side. Seven years after that, Kim came to me. In fact, it was on a spring break down here in Southern California. We were at our favorite beach that I go to all the time in Oxnard and we were walking along the beach and she said, I feel a stirring. I'm like, no, you can't feel a stirring. I'm the one that feels stirring. Because for me, ministry in, in Oregon was wonderful. And she goes, I just feel unsettled. And so I looked at her and I said, if you feel unsettled, then I will commit to pray, because I believe that God speaks through you. So I started to pray. And I'll tell you, God answered, and it's the answer I didn't want to hear. I so loved being back in Southern California, but I didn't want to leave Oregon. I wanted to leave the rain and all that stuff, but I don't want to leave the people. And so Kim and I prayed, and I said, you know what? God is stirring. And God was stirring this church at the same time he was stirring us. Why? Because he was going to bring us together. And I said to Kim, I will walk away from the most fruitful seven years of ministry in my life because you said this, and I believe God is stirring us. And I'll tell you, being here, I am so glad that God speaks to my wife and that I actually listen to her because God brought us here. And I, have be honest with you, I would rather be here than there had to lay down her agenda i had to lay down my agenda to guess what to find god's agenda for both of us so when you look at your friendships god may be saying i'm going to ask you to sacrifice everything to gamble everything on this friend for the purpose that i have in their life and the question will come to you will you say yes because god is up to something god means that means we're going to have to sacrifice and endure things much like Epaphroditus did on behalf of Paul. So I'm going to ask you as we close, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because what I want you to hear, I want you to to actually let the Lord speak to you right now. So in just the last few moments, you kind of gotten a glimpse into some of the friendships in my life. And so the first thing, there's two things I really feel that are important for response this morning. The first one is this. I want you to think about the kinds of people that when you think of a true friend that that, are, that you're in relationship with, you think of a true friend, maybe even many of these characteristics, you would say, yeah, that's true of them. That, that there have been people in your life that have really been friends to you. Right now, as I'm talking about, I want, let the Lord kind of bring a slideshow to your mind right now. Just let the images of their faces come to your mind. Just let it keep kind of rolling through and, oh, yeah, there's that person I haven't seen in a while. Oh, that's that person I see every day. Just could be your spouse a best friend, but it could be just let the slideshow keep rolling because I want you to see those faces. Because once you've kind of seen those, and you, this may be continuing on throughout the day that God brings people to your mind, this is what you, I want you to do. I want you to this week find a way to contact them because we know we have a million ways to contact each other now. And I want you to thank them. Tell them how much you appreciate them for their friendship for their commitment, for their sacrifice, for their loyalty, for their selflessness in your life. And just tell them how much you truly appreciate them. But then there's a second person or maybe even a group of people that I want you to see right now. And that is that, that I'm convinced by God's Spirit, He is highlighting to you, could be one or could be more, but there's somebody that God's saying to you right now, you need to be their true friend. They are in need of a friend in their life right now, and I'm calling you to be the one, the one that's willing to roll the dice on their life, the one that's being willing to sacrifice and be selfless, the one that is willing to unify, the one is, that is willing to reach out, the one who is willing to give everything for this person. And as God begins to highlight that person, Then I'm gonna ask you as well this week that you would find a way to take whatever it is is the first step in you demonstrating what true friendship looks like like for that person. And allow the Lord to give you the courage to do that. Because if God has brought them to your mind, there's a reason they need a friend and God's saying, you're the one. Don't question it, don't argue (laughs) with what God's doing because God has an agenda for you, God has an agenda for them and that agenda includes both of you together. So, Lord Jesus, as you are highlighting the, f- the faces of our friends that you have blessed us with, and then, Lord, even those that you are calling us to be a friend to, Jesus, we thank you for Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, there are things that we probably would never even know about the Apostle Paul if it weren't for his friends. It weren't for those who were willing to give themselves for him so lord i pray that you would give us the courage this week to be those kinds of friends lord i know it's not only for the sake of friendship it's for the sake of the gospel it's for the sake of the church it's for the sake of your purpose in the world that we would be people that would truly live as the friends that you've called and created us to be so lord jesus this week prompt us by your spirit give us the courage so that lord people who we know and maybe even those that we don't know that we're going to become friends with because you've called us to would be changed and would be different because we listened to the words of scripture we were inspired by the stories of timothy and paphroditus and we responded in obedience to your spirit in our lives we thank you jesus for your presence in your name amen